This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Today we've got a tremendous guest. She has a PhD in public health. Her name is Dr. Stephanie Moon, as she is a yoga therapist and researcher in Baltimore, specializing in rheumatic diseases. She has written a book called Yoga Therapy for Arthritis, and she has conducted vast pioneering research in the benefits of yoga for arthritis and is now one of the leading experts in this area. So, Dr. Stephanie, thank you very much for coming on this episode. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm, thank you for having me. Uh, tell us straight away, what, uh, what does the research tell us about the benefits of yoga for arthritis? Well, the, the quick answer to that is that the research says it helps. <laughs> and there are a variety of different ways that it helps. The research in yoga is really still somewhat in its infancy. There was a dramatic increase in the amount and the, the rigor and quality of yoga research around 2010, which was very recent compared to, to other fields. So we're, we still have a long way to go. But the earliest research first just had to demonstrate safety, to be able to say yoga is safe for people with arthritis. And now Yoga is built into many of the recommendations for safe management of arthritis. We know that exercise is important for arthritis and yoga is now recommended as part of that, as a way to stay active for people living with arthritis. In addition to being safe, however, there are a variety of benefits for people with arthritis when they practice yoga. The most obvious is that it helps you stay physically fit right? Like anybody else with or without arthritis, staying active helps you to stay fit. And that can be in the areas of strength, flexibility, mobility, balance. One of the good things about yoga is that it doesn't just train one aspect of fitness, but it um, touches on all of those areas. Beyond that, exercise is also good for your mental health, good for your mood, um, good for the way that you feel. And that is also, of course, true for people with arthritis. Those kinds of, of challenges with having a good mood, feeling good, tend to be more complicated for people with arthritis because of the inflammation, because of the challenges to daily living. So the research shows that yoga improves mood, depressive symptoms, stress, anxiety for people with arthritis. Additionally, it improves quality of life, the way that you feel about how you're doing, how healthy you are, how your health impacts your daily life, how your arthritis impacts your daily life. And then beyond that, there is some suggestion that the yoga practice is also affecting the underlying disease status so that you see some suggestion of changes in things like the number of joints that are tender or swollen and the underlying disease processes may also change. Some people report that they're able to use less medication when they're practicing yoga. Uh, these are the questions that we're starting to ask now. All of this is predicated on the yoga being the right kind of yoga that is appropriate for people who are living with arthritis. Yeah, wonderful. You've touched upon the, the physical and the non-physical. We know through recent work that the non-physical can have a uh, clinical improvements to uh, inflammation. And because it's so non-quantitative, you know, it's hard for us to kind of therefore feel as satisfied with the information. But, you know, look, happiness, gratitude, these things are certainly showing up now as being influential, as well as just feeling good, feeling calm. And uh, I say that with exercise, you get the stress reduction or the the meditation uh, effects for free, especially with with yoga, right? Because tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
didn't yoga originate partly to enable people who wanted to meditate more to be more successful at longer meditations? Right, right. So actually the the term yoga means union. And we can think about that in a lot of different ways, but one of the ways that we might be in union or unified is in mind and body. And so in order to achieve a state of yoga, you have to be in balance in order to be fully present and connected in mind and body. You were saying that the psychological affects the physical, the physical also affects the psychological as anybody who has physical challenges knows it's a two-way street. And so the initial yoga practices were just ways to experience union, ways to be able to feel connected. And the physical part of it really just started with the seated posture. The first yoga pose is just a seated posture for meditation. And all of those other poses that we now think of in the West as what yoga is evolved in order to bring the body into a state of readiness to be able to sit in union, right? So, you know, we have these like long elaborate processes that we do just to be able to sit still because anybody who's tried to sit still knows that it's not easy. And, but after a yoga class, doesn't it feel so much easier to be able to just be still? And that being still is not just being physically still, but it's being able to quiet the mind and the stories that we tell ourselves and the worries that we have and the hanging out in the past and hanging out in the future. And so the yoga practices are intended to bring us into that readiness for a unification of mind and body. It just so happens that all that physical stuff we do also has its own benefits. Right. So right. even if you never sit and meditate at the end, there's a whole bunch of good stuff that happens as a result of all the preparation in and of itself. Oh, most definitely. I uh, can definitely relate to that. A lot of my audience are familiar with Bikram yoga, which is uh, on its own kind of branch out of the, the yoga spectrum. And um, by the end of that, you know, it's, it's very, very uh, hard to be worried about what's happening on the outside world. I mean, you're just hanging in there. <laughs> you're very much connected with your body by the end of a 90-minute Bikram class. But let's talk about you, what you do when someone shows up. They uh, have some kind of rheumatic condition, maybe sciatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis. They might have rheumatoid arthritis. Let's spend some time walking through how you help someone who presents with these symptoms using arthritis. Sorry, using yoga. It's all right. I confuse the terms all the time. <laughs> so I'm a yoga therapist, and I think maybe it helps to distinguish for a moment the difference between a yoga teacher and a yoga therapist, because one of the distinguishing features is a, an intake process. So when you go to a yoga class, they might ask, does anybody have anything I need to know about? Do you have any health conditions? You know, maybe you sign a waiver. Maybe you answer a few questions. Maybe you raise your hand if you, you know, need to modify something. But generally speaking, the class takes all comers. And it's up to you as the student to figure out what class is appropriate for you, where you belong, mm -hmm. and how to take care of yourself, what instructions to follow or not follow, what to do a little bit more or a little bit less, when to bow out of something entirely. Whereas a yoga therapist is in a therapeutic relationship with the client. So that means just like when you would go to a medical doctor or you'd go to a massage therapist or a chiropractor, they want to know about your health from a yoga perspective because they're operating from a yoga framework. So that means they want to know about all the aspects of your health, not just physical, but all of the koshas, right? The koshas are sort of the layers of like the biopsychosocial spiritual model in medicine. Yoga thinks about it in the same way. You have different aspects of yourself. You have your physical body, your energy body, emotion, intellect, et cetera. So they want to know, well, you know, how balanced are you in all of those ways? And, in, you know, in what ways are you imbalanced? Because that way I can work with you to figure out what the practice is 
that's going to be safest and most appropriate for you meeting you exactly where you are right now. So every yoga therapist is also a yoga teacher because you have to be a yoga teacher first to become a yoga therapist. So if I'm teaching a class, I'm not going to have the luxury of all of that information. But if I'm working with you one-on-one or I'm doing a small group of people who all have arthritis, I'm going to get all of that information so that the practice can be tailored to you. And I'm thinking not just what poses might he need in order for his back to feel better, but I'm thinking how is his energy? Where is his mindset? What's the meaning and purpose in his life? Why does he care about any of this? What's bringing him to yoga? What does he want to get out of it? so that we can partner in developing a practice that's going to serve you. From the whole toolbox of everything that yoga is, not just the physical postures, not just the breath work, not just the meditation, the mindfulness, but also lifestyle and also the philosophy. I bring in a whole lot of philosophy because yoga has gems of teachings that you can apply to your daily life and totally change your mindset so that whether or not your arthritis changes, your relationship to your arthritis changes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I didn't expect you to finish speaking at that exact moment. So I was just listening and wasn't formulating a question. I was fascinated. I was thinking about everyone walking in and you having conversations with them and you're getting their background and everything. And and I, I was drawn into that world. So can you give us some case studies uh, or some examples? Describe a typical person that walks in, you go through that questionnaire with them and you establish all of this background information about them. And then um, what happens after that? Uh, do they see you on a, on a regular basis or do you send them home with a, with a routine to work on? Yeah, that's a good question, Clint. And it can happen in a variety of ways. And it's based on the readiness of the client and you know what they're up for, what they feel like they need, how deep they want to go. There are some people who are regular yoga practitioners who now all of a sudden have arthritis and they already are very familiar with yoga, but they want to figure out what do I need to do differently now that I'm experiencing my body in a different way. And so that's going to be different from somebody who maybe has been living with arthritis for decades, but has never been in a yoga class before. Right. So I'm meeting you where you are, both in your yoga experience and also in your arthritis experience, because somebody who is newly diagnosed is just wrapping their head around what all of this means, what my life is going to be like, what I'm going to have to let go of, what's going to be possible for me. There are aspects of grief, of letting go of, you know, the person that I may have been before I had this and accepting a new normal of these are things that I'm going to be dealing with that are different. All of the information from the medical doctor that might have made your head spin around multiple times. And so what someone like that might need is perhaps just to learn how to breathe deeply. Mm. And maybe that's where we start Mm. without even any postures. And so I'm always sending my clients home with homework because Yoga, unlike a lot of forms of integrative health, is not something that someone does to you, but something you do for yourself. So you don't show up to me like an acupuncturist who puts needles in you or a massage therapist who works on your muscles or, you know, an herbalist who gives you a pill to take. I think of it more as an educator role that I'm introducing you to skills and then expecting you to take those skills out into your life. So if you only are using yoga when you're with me, then I'm not doing my job because hopefully eventually yoga not only is a set of practices that you use in your life on a regular basis, but also is a way that you just are in your body differently, are in your breath differently, are in your mind differently. And so we work toward that in baby steps in both the meetings together and also in your homework outside. Yes, I love that. What I've learned in my yoga classes, which by the way, 
have been absolutely instrumental to my health improvements. And in fact, for a period of a year, I was going to yoga every single day just so that I could walk. Uh, such yeah, was the importance of attending yoga for my, I wouldn't even say health, I would say disaster avoidance. Oh, wow. It was that crucial. And I, every time I go to the gym, which I'm going to this afternoon, I went to yoga yesterday. I'm going to the gym after our call. And I incorporate the pranayama breathing uh, whilst I'm at the gym. It helps. Well, I use it actually to open up my shoulders and my uh, shoulder blades and, and so on. I like it from, the, from that point of view. But obviously the, the deep breathing as well. And I use some postures within the yoga class at the gym to uh, stretch out after I do some leg exercises, some squats and things, because I've just found that those postures from class are also the best way for me to stretch without causing injury. I have a very bad left knee. And so, yeah, I'm always incorporating stuff that I've learned from the yoga class uh, outside the class. And in fact, you know, even the, the, uh, the concept of sort of trying to meditate in challenging conditions, you know, with the yoga being a, a moving meditation, I've tried to apply also to my other career, which is performing and doing stand-up and stuff. Uh, and I've found that very helpful as well. So yoga is just, as you say, it becomes part of your life. It becomes part of who you are. And if I, yeah, if you only do it at class and then you don't bother doing it outside, I think the, the benefits are certainly not as not as great, which makes which makes sense. So I'm now going to put you on the spot, and I'm going to ask you to to help help people who are listening. and And are there things that are generic that everyone really could benefit from that you could help us with over the coming portion of our call? Um, whether it be some breathing techniques, or whether it be posture related, or just some. Um, and what I'd really love to get into, if if you feel that you can be generic in this area when it's tough is if someone has, for instance, a knee problem or, for instance, pain in their fingers, could we perhaps even explore things for particular scenarios, if I may sure. put you on the spot like that? Um, but first of all, yeah, um, yeah just let, 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 get, get as helpful as you could be, please. Okay, so you just laid out a whole bunch of options. Yeah, whatever you <laughs> feel, whatever you feel. What, whatever's <laughs> most common, whatever, what, whatever yeah, most I, common to your clients. I think that, Brett, let me just say something about the nervous system here, because many of us with arthritis or not, or not are living in a state of ongoing stress response because we're not getting enough sleep, because we're always busy, because there's sort of a pride in always being busy and feeling rushed and feeling like you have too much on your plate worrying about the future, worrying about the past. It's just a part of many of our cultures to live like that. And then you add a disease on top of that that has a lot of complications and all the more so. So when we're in a stress response, our body does what it has evolved to do, which is prepare us to fight, freeze, or flee. And that makes a lot of sense when you're worried about a bear attacking you. It doesn't make a lot of sense when you have a work deadline or, you know, when you have a sick parent or whatever it is. So the physiology that happens in a stress response is bad for our bodies and also for our minds. And it's accompanied by a particular breath signature that many of us walk around with all the time, which is that our breath is shallow and short and high up in the chest. And if you are trying to exert, then you need that faster breathing rate. You, you, know, you don't have time to be able to slow down and take full deep breaths but it's not healthy to stay in that acute re stress response for long periods of time. And it turns out that we can turn that off with the breath. So instead of, or in addition to trying to change all those things that feel so stressful, we can change the way that we breathe. So the stress response 
has an opposite and it's called the relaxation response. And it's like a light switch. It can't be both at the same time. It's either one or the other. So either we're in the stress stress response or we're in the relaxation response. This is the sympathetic and parasympathetic aspects of the autonomic nervous system. Okay. So when we breathe in, our heart rate is increasing. And when we breathe out, our heart rate is slowing down. And so we have this sort of wave where our nervous system goes into sympathetic and parasympathetic in a rhythm. The more time we spend on an exhale, the calmer our nervous system gets. And even just thinking about a slow exhale, you can sort of almost feel that already, right? So when we take a slow, long exhale, we're engaging the relaxation response and turning off the stress response. Now, in order to be able to take a long, slow exhale, you have to have enough air to let out slowly. If you're breathing high up into your chest, that's not possible. So the way that we start is by allowing the diaphragm to move. Now, the diaphragm separates the chest and the abdomen. It's like a little barrier. And as it descends, it allows the lungs to draw in a bunch of air. And then it rises as the air goes out of the lungs and back out on our exhale. If your hands are on your belly, you can feel that when you breathe in, your belly expands. The belly is expanding because the diaphragm moves down and it sort of squishes all the organs in the abdomen and they have no place else to go. So if you're breathing properly to engage the relaxation response, your belly is going to move out as you inhale and then it's going to move back in as you exhale. Now, some people get really uncomfortable with the idea of their belly moving out. And so one of the things that I tell people is that what's actually happening when you breathe in and out and your belly moves is that you're toning your abdominal muscles by allowing them to engage and relax and engage and relax. It's like doing crunches by just breathing. And if you've ever watched a sleeping baby breathe, you can see that their belly rises and falls quite naturally. So if we breathe in and we allow the diaphragm to descend and the belly expands, then we can take a really nice, slow, long exhale. So let's just do that together now. And you find that when you do that, that there's almost a little pause at the bottom before the breath just naturally rushes in again. I like to think of that as there's, you know, this saying about there being a pause between the stimulus and the response, that that pause between the exhale and the inhale, there's nothing happening. There's no doing, there's only being. So it's a really nice metaphor for taking a moment, which we rarely do in life. Just take a moment and just be without reacting, without rushing into the next thing. So when you notice that your breath does that naturally, it takes a little break and then it draws in new air and then it takes a little break and then it lets it out. So that's a tool that people can use when they're driving, when they're standing in line, when they're, you know, on a phone call, in a meeting, nobody knows that you're doing it. Just that long, slow exhale to calm down the nervous system. And it turns out that the nervous system is also where pain happens. And so when we calm the nervous system, we also calm the pain response. So we can change the experience of pain by changing the activity of the nervous system. Mm, something that's so common uh, and that we give so little thought to has so much potential to influence us so positively if we give it some consciousness. I love when you were talking about that state in between the breaths where you have that state of being and nothing else. I've heard that referred to before as as that's that's where you can find God. You know, it's that kind of, mm-hmm. um, it's that moment where, you really are just purely present and uh, it's lovely. It's just a moment, but it's it's a nice one. I feel 
nice and calm just uh, by working on this with you just in those few moments. So if we did it all day when we're uh, out and about, I'm sure that the the um, effects would be uh, much more profound. Tell us, give us some more things. That's that's obviously one that we can implement right away, nice and simple. Right. Are there some are there some others that uh, you teach that uh, are also kind of generic? And if you like, uh, I'd like to also explore some more, you know, individual cases like some hands and elbows and knees and ankles. If you if you want to go there, sure. Let Let's go somewhere, someplace more um, grossly physical. Okay. Okay. And let's go to the hands because okay. they're really easy to see, and it's a really common place for people to have arthritis of several varieties. Mm-hmm. So not everybody has arthritis in their hands, but lots of people do. And even those of, of us who don't have arthritis in the hands still can benefit from these practices, both in terms of prevention and also just in terms of stiffness and achiness that happens when you've either been still for long periods of time or you've been overusing your hands. So I think this one is good for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to do a few things with our hands here. Um, there's something that I do, especially if I am going into a place that has a large crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say it's a stadium full of people. Um, maybe it's an arthritis event, like a an arthritis walk. And so there are going to be people of all kinds, of all ages, with all different kinds of challenges. And I want something that everybody in the room can do. Or I'm going into a senior center and there are lots of people who are wheelchair bound or have a lot of limitations. These are these are things that I do for just about anybody. And it involves essentially moving every synovial joint in the body. So what I'm going to show you for hands, I would really do from the toes all the way up to the head, Mm -hmm. just very quickly moving through the whole body. And it's great to do, especially for people who have morning stiffness, who wake up in the morning and feel very stiff and achy, and it's hard to work that out. But just getting every joint in the body moving can be really helpful in, in those situations. So what I would do with the hands is start by bringing up the hands in front of you, and you can bring the fingers toward each other and away and toward each other and away. And so not everybody's going to be able to touch the fingertips and that's fine. They don't have to touch. So it might just be this, right? It's working within whatever range you have, taking them apart and together. And you might find that as you do it, your range starts to improve so that you can spread your palms a little bit wider and you can squeeze the fingers together just a little bit more. Okay. And then roll the wrists one way. And roll them the other way. And then imagine that you're playing the piano. You know, I do this Wiggle. this part. I, I call this yeah. uh, sending twinkles or whatever. My wife came up with that idea. Um, <laughs> and we were doing this at an event in Florida recently. I had everyone do this exact same thing, get them really moving. Because we, oh, we're getting movement through those little joints, aren't we? We're just getting yeah. all. Yeah, all the, all yeah. the joints in the hand, right? Yeah. It's not just the fingers. Yeah. And then bring one finger at a time toward the thumb. Mm-hmm. So I actually do this one. And again, it's fine if it doesn't touch. I do this one with kids yeah. and I teach them a little, a little uh, meditation with it. Peace begins with me. Peace, Peace begins. begins with me. Peace yeah. begins with me. It's beautiful. So it's a little sort of mantra that they can say in their minds while they're moving finger to finger. And it's a way to calm the mind as well as moving the body. And then bring the palms toward each other and away. And toward each other and away. And again, fine if the palms don't touch. You're just bringing them toward each other. We actually had somebody in one of our yoga research studies who at the beginning of the study, uh, her hands looked sort of like this. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the study, she was able to bring her palms together. And that was such an incredibly powerful experience for her because she felt metaphorically like it allowed her to express a prayer of gratitude 
for being able to move into this position. And from here, you can roll the wrists this way. And you can roll this way. Yeah. And then take the hands out in front and like flex and point. Mm -hmm. I got to get some. <laughs> some distance so you don't knock your microphone over. Right. And then you alternate one and then the other. So this is also good for the brain. Mm. Good. And then just shake the hands out. Yeah. And let them go. So you don't want to do any of that for too long because as with anything, the poison is in the dose, right? So if a little bit can be beneficial and a lot can be harmful. So if you especially are someone whose hands start to hurt from overexertion or for, from too much activity, then there's a fine line between doing enough movement that you don't get stiff, but do, not doing too much that you get sore. And only you know how much that is. So what we just did right now, we did some of those things for longer than I might have, especially in a large group. But right. there are little things that, that anybody can do for as long as feels okay. Mm -hmm. Let me run something past you. Obviously, all that what you've just gone through, you've tried and tested with multiple people and you've found that overall, this is beneficial. There is something that I've not talked about, I don't think on an episode before or given in any kind of training videos or anything that I've found been helpful for me over the years. And that is to clasp my hands together very tightly. And then what I've actually got going on here is a tourniquet effect in between each of the joints because each finger is pressing firmly against the soft tissue of the other fingers and then when it's released i just feel this wonderful blood flow through oh, the fingers yeah. it's like when you put your arms in a door jam and then you let go and your arms float up it's a similar have you done that i know what you're talking i've done it as a i haven't thought about that since i was 12 but yeah yeah but it just feels that, that there is sort of away. yeah um just feel like there's fresh blood flow coming through the finger joints and yeah. uh uh, in the Bikram style of teaching, he calls that the uh, the antiarthritic grip. So, uh, you know, that's I didn't come up with it. Um, I uh, again something I took out of class and applied in my day to day life, and I still like to use uh, that from time to time just to get the fingers feeling um, you know juicy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I love it. You know, there are a there's a lot with hands in yoga. Um, there's a whole aspect of yoga called mudra, which is all kinds of different hand positions. And those hand positions are intended to change subtle energy, right? The way that like um, acupuncture has Chinese meridians, yoga has similar channels of energy through the body. The different hand positions can be beneficial physiologically too, on like a musculoskeletal level. But it depends on the person because what is beneficial for one person can be harmful for another. And so there are some hand positions that I might think feel really good. Like just for example, something like this might feel really good if your arthritis hurts when you go this way. But if you have a carpal tunnel, then this is going to be terrible, right? Sure. So that it all has to be considered in the context of what are the joints that are affected by the arthritis? Is there any deformity? Are there osteophytes at the joint that we need to be aware of? So that's why the individual intake is so important. Oh, definitely. You know, I've gotten to know my heavily osteoarthritic knee very intimately through yoga classes. I know, for example, that if I try and sit Japanese style or, you know, fixed firm pose, you know, anything that involves putting my weight on my buttocks back onto my heels in that direction, this is helpful in class. If I try and do it, if I got up now and got down the floor and started doing this, I would aggravate the torn meniscus in the knee joint. And I've often uh, pondered, why is that the case? Why can I, you know, and I've concluded that it's because the joint gets warmed up. It seems to get warmed up during the other sessions. And so, uh, uh, sorry, the other postures that lead up to those postures in class. And so I've stopped doing them. I've I've just stopped doing them, but 
that's a, just an example to support your comment that, you know, what works for one person might not work for another. And it's very individual, which I guess is why it's so important that someone uh, gets that kind of concierge or bespoke help from someone like yourself, because these things are hard to work out, especially when you're in class and the teacher's saying, do downward dog, do downward dog, and your wrists are killing you. And you're on there trying yes. to do downward dogs. This is why... <laughs> This is the number one complaint of people to me with rheumatoid arthritis who don't go to Bikram, which I keep bringing up because it doesn't put any loading on any of the wrists. Um, and they'll do something like a vinyasa or something, and they're in these downward dogs, and they're like, my wrists are killing me. So, Yes, or child's pose if you have problems with the knees or the hips. You know, there are a few. And that's why in our research, the poses are tailored to the individual. So, you know, as I said, Yoga is union. Yoga, the ancient art of yoga, doesn't say that, you know, you need exactly a 45 degree angle between, you know, this joint and that. And so uh, there's actually some writing that I've done around this issue of what makes a pose yoga. And there are a whole bunch of things that make a pose yoga that are not about the actual physical position of the body. Mm. but it's up to the student to one, be able to advocate for themselves and say, this doesn't work for me. I need a different option. And either I'm going to be creative and figure it out myself, or I'm going to ask for help or whatever the case may be. But in order to advocate for yourself, when something doesn't work for you, you have to first be aware of it. And that is a skill that yoga teaches is just paying attention to what's happening in your own body, especially for people who are in pain. There can be an impulse to say, you know what, I'm just going to ignore everything that's happening in my physical body because it's all bad news and I need to get through my day. And if I indulge in what's happening in this hip and that knee, then I'm going to be debilitated. And so I can't even go there. But while that may be adaptive in some ways, it also prevents us from being able to make informed decisions about what is working and not working. And no one can be more of an expert of your body than you. I say, you know, I may be the world's leading expert on yoga for arthritis, but you're the world's leading expert of your body. And so I'll bring the yoga and you bring everything that you know about that body that you've been living in and let's figure it out together because I can't know how your hip feels in this pose. Only you can know that. But in order to know it, you have to pay attention to it. Mm, yeah, definitely. Tell us, does everyone get results when they come and see you? Are there, I mean, if there's people who are thinking about if they live in the Baltimore area or whether or not they would even travel to see you or whether or not you might do uh, consultations over Skype and so forth. Superficially, we're all interested in pain relief, physical pain relief. Yes, we would love to have a better connect mind-body connection and feel calmer and everything and, and so forth, but pain relief is the results. That's the golden ticket we all after. Are you successful in most instances in achieving that? 30% reduction in pain. 30% reduction in pain. Okay. That's what we want to hear. With no side effects, with good side effects, right? <laughs> now, are these, are these figures, is that figure coming out of your clinic or is that from the studies that you've helped pioneer in the past? That's our research. Yeah, that, that's our research. That's your research. Sorry, so it, that's at, coming at your out. clinic. Yeah. Uh, so the research that I've done has been at the Johns Hopkins Arthritis Center. Mm -hmm. at the National Institutes of Health in Washington, D.C., and now at uh, major hospitals in New York City. This is, these are, you know, very yeah. well-designed studies and people with, who are coming to a tertiary care clinic. So this, these are people with serious mm -hmm. challenges mm. and all kinds of different joints involved. You know, when you say, it would be nice to have more of a mind-body connection, but what we really want is pain relief. I, I'm just going to play devil's advocate and say, that's where the pain relief comes from sure. because the pain signal, I teach this to my students. I make them say it over and over again. Pain is an output of the brain. 
Pain is not something your knee tells your brain. Pain is something your brain tells your knee. So if you can change what's happening in your brain, you can change the pain, even if your knee doesn't change at all. So you may be familiar with the studies that have shown that there's actually very little correlation between tissue damage and arthritis pain, right? So you could have only a little bit of damage, but a whole lot of pain, or you could have a lot of damage and very little pain, which seems like, well, that stinks. That's terrible news that you could have a whole lot of pain from just a little bit of tissue damage, but it's actually a huge opportunity because it means that you can change the nervous system to affect the pain without even making any structural changes. And so to me, you know, if I'm thinking like a scientist about this, I actually think that's why yoga is so effective. It's because what is happening in your brain besides these impulses that are going back and forth, a message goes from your knee to your brain, and then your brain has to decide what that message means. And your brain makes that decision based on who you are, past experiences that you've had, knowledge that you've been told, you know, things that you think about yourself, what your parents taught you. So all of that stuff, you know, in an instant weighs into how you make sense of this message that's coming from your knee. And because yoga helps us to be more present of mind and make choices with our mind instead of letting it be like a monkey that runs uncontrolled around the room, we can change how our brain talks to our knee. Mm -hmm. You're getting very esoteric on us now, Stephanie, but yeah, I do like, no, but <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree and that part of it, but I've also witnessed the, the physical cause and effect of yoga, which, I, which sure. I'm seeing is that just the strengthening of the muscles and the connective tissues, the slight separation of the two bones that are touching together to give you that little bit of relief. So you've got both going on, haven't we? We, yeah, we can't absolutely. fail. But we're physically improving the quality of the joints by uh, all of the physical movement involved. And we're also setting up this mind-body connection that becomes more gentler with its interpretations of signals. On a physical level, you know, be, because we're talking about the knees here for a minute, you may be aware of the research that shows that there is a, an inverse correlation between the need for knee replacement or the time to knee replacement and the strength of the quadriceps group. So to explain that without the mm -hmm. jargon, mm -hmm. the stronger your quads are, the longer it'll be until you need to replace your knee, right? Mm -hmm. For people who have arthritis in the knee. So how does that work? Well, because the quadriceps, have, it's a group of four muscles. Two of those muscles cross over the knee joint. So they attach to the shin bone, right? And that means that when you strengthen the quadricep muscles, you're helping to hold the joint together. And for someone who has osteoarthritis, which has an inflammatory component, but is also mechanical, it's less wear and tear because there's more integrity to the joint because the muscles are picking up the work that the connective tissue isn't there to do. So that, you know, there's a whole lot in yoga that, of course, you can do squats and you can do lunges and that sort of thing, but you can also do static poses like the warrior poses and chair pose and, um, you know, even moving through the sun salutations, which have a lot of use of the major muscle groups, you can strengthen the quadriceps without putting a whole lot of excessive load on the body and on the joints by not, you know, adding extra weight and that sort of thing. So it's a great way, especially for people who have been deconditioned and may not be able or ready to add a lot of weight to just use body weight and use isometric poses to be able to start strengthening some of those muscles that are going to help to stabilize the joint. And especially, you know, if you think about where, where do I have arthritis in my body and what are the muscles that operate around that joint 
so that I can focus on strengthening and stabilizing there. Could not agree more that sometimes uh, if I haven't been to a yoga class in a while, I'll do a yoga class and uh, so we're holding some postures and like the quads are shaking. They're working so hard and you're just holding this simple enough looking posture. Uh, you're not holding anything. You're <laughs> just the body weight, the, the, the angles of the, the muscles and so forth. So couldn't agree more. You can totally put on muscle mass whilst doing yoga, as long as your nutrition is right. If you go and engage deeply into the postures to the limit of your joint integrity, there's muscle mass to be gained and to no doubt whatsoever. So, okay, where do we go from here? Well, I'd like to find out if someone buys your book, what are they going to learn from your book? I wrote this book when, when the publisher approached me for it they wanted a book for yoga professionals, yoga teachers, yoga therapists, because lots of yoga professionals don't know enough about arthritis. I'm sure your audience would agree. I'm sure some people in your audience have been to a yoga class where they felt like the teacher did not understand what they were going through, told them things that didn't make sense for their body, maybe put them into postures that weren't healthy, maybe even adjusted them in ways that were harmful or hurtful. And it's been an important part of my work to educate yoga professionals because arthritis, if you look at the umbrella of all arthritis, it's so incredibly pre prevalent. There's no yoga teacher out there who is not experiencing you know, students with arthritis and it behooves them to know more about it. But it was important to me that this not be written for a single audience and that if I was going to write this book, which builds on my entire research career to date and clinical career as well, that it be for, yes, yoga professionals, people who are living with arthritis, who are interested in yoga or already practicing yoga and want tools and information and health professionals who work with people who have arthritis, who want to be more informed so that they can refer appropriately so that they can answer questions so that they can make recommendations. So rheumatologist, um, orthopedists, general medical providers, physical therapists, people who are working with this population. So the book is for all of those segments. And so it goes, it, it moves sort of, you know, through the layers that we've been talking about. It, ta it starts with just the physical body. What is arthritis? What does it do? How does it work? What's yoga? What does yeah. it do? How does it uh, but then it moves through the other aspects that we've been talking about in terms of, well, what about the breath? How does mm. that work? What is the role for the breath in managing arthritis? How about the mental practices? What does meditation have to do with it? What does, you know, what do the relaxation practices have to offer? So it goes through all of the information, but scattered throughout the book are stories of real people living with arthritis whose lives have been changed by yoga and practices that you can do or that a yoga professional can bring to class or with a client or things that a care provider can offer. So it's meant to be informative, practical. It's incredibly important to me that it be evidence-based. So it is, I don't say mm -hmm. anything that I can't back up mm -hmm. uh, or I you know, say that, that it's from my personal experience. So it's very much grounded in the science, but it also has integrity to the tradition of yoga and all that it offers. So I'm, I think that it's pretty comprehensive and I'm quite proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. And so would it have information for people to uh, implement at home with all uh, for a spectrum of different levels of condition? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's a section in the book about home practice, and there are a variety of different postures in there and also a lot of different ways to modify the postures. So you'll see a warrior pose, for example, but you'll see, well, you know, you could put your arms here, you could put your arms here, you could put your arms here, depending on how your shoulders are. You might want to be sitting in a chair, you might want to put a wedge underneath the back of your foot. So it has the ways that we in our research and also in my clinical practice modify the poses according to 
joint activity and limitations as needed. So there are those practical tips in terms of modification of the asanas, but then there are also you know, guided visualizations and guided, you know, self-inquiry and journaling and breath practices and all of those kinds of tools as well. Yeah, that's sensational. Do you do Skype calls for people who want one-on-one help? Yeah, actually, a lot of what I do is over Skype um, or, you know, other video conferencing, both with people who are experienced yoga practitioners who are looking for, you know, to go a little bit deeper or personalize their practice or people who are brand new to yoga. So, uh, and with all different forms of arthritis and all different joints affected. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think there'll be a lot of people interested in, in maybe exploring that with you. So if someone wanted to contact you, is it best to reach out to your clinic or do you have, do you have a, a, a contact preference? Yeah. So if you go to my website, which is arthritis.yoga, there are ways to schedule an appointment with me right there. You can email me and ask me any questions that you have. You can just peruse the information, pick up the book or other offerings. Um, There's an option to become a member and then get a whole bunch of additional resources and information. So probably the website is the best place to start and then find what you're looking for from there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on this show. And I've learned some great things from you and really enjoyed talking about one of my true passions, which is yoga for our health. Um, My wife originally uh, got me into it. She's been doing yoga for a very long time. Uh, She started out with dance at a very young age, which I think you mentioned when we were talking offline. I don't think we talked about it on this call. But you started dancing when you were very young and so did she. And then she got into yoga and she also is a yoga teacher, uh, kind of taking some time off at the moment because of all the kids, but I've really, this is, this conversation is very close to my heart. So thank you for sharing this great information. And there's so much more to talk about, but uh, we might save that potentially for maybe another call in the future. People can reach out to you or, uh, or buy your book. So thank you, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Clint. It's been such a pleasure. I would love to do it again sometime. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Patterson Program. For more information, visit pattersonprogram.com.